Welcome to Radio Free Culture from WFMU, where we examine issues at the intersection of digital media and the arts. In this episode, I was joined by Siobhan Watchhorn, the archivist managing the Maximum Rock and Roll archive in San Francisco. Maximum Rock and Roll, a long-running punk and hardcore fanzine, is in the process of archiving every issue, cataloging their massive record collection, and digitizing the radio show. There were some technical difficulties during our conversation, so the audio quality varies a little. My name is Siobhan Watchhorn. I'm the archive coordinator at Maximum Rock and Roll. Um, Maximum Rock and Roll is the world's longest running DIY underground punk rock fanzine. We've been publishing a magazine monthly since 1982 and in existence in some form or another since 1977, first as a radio show. And Maximum is more than just a radio show and, and a magazine. We also have probably the world's largest public archive of punk rock vinyl. We have almost 50,000 records. And we also have a collection of photographs of ephemera as well. And Maximo also puts on shows, does benefits, that sort of thing too. Um, so I, I will be here for over a year in the capacity as archive coordinator. And so I'm helping to get our database of record reviews and a database of our collection up online and also um, doing physical care of the collections and making sure everything, all of our research requests get answered and that people um, have the opportunity to visit the collection if they want to. Yeah, that's awesome. What's your personal connection to Maximum Rock and Roll? Um, I was actually doing proofreading remotely for the magazine starting in 2015. You know, like once a month I would get an interview sent to me and I would proofread it and send it back and do some light editing on it. Um, And I have sent in, I think, three or four interviews over the years dating back to like 2008. And I've just been a reader for a really long time. I... uh, I've been involved in punk for like most of my life. I worked at Extreme Noise Records in Minneapolis for eight years. And before that, I booked shows at the Che Cafe in San Diego, which is like a really long running DIY space and venue. So I understand that the archive has something like 49,000 records. Yeah, over 49,000 records. Wow. And that's all vinyl. Um, every month we get between 80 and 150 records for review. Um, and the reason that the question is all vinyl is because um, Tim Yohannan, who was the founder of the magazine, was like obsessed with records, not really with other formats. I was going to ask you regarding formats, like, so I know that there are a ton of records there, but are there other formats there? And like, of those, like, are you finding any of them particularly challenging to store? The cassettes have been completely like, you know, they've just been ignored over the years. Um, the cassettes that we do have, like the demos, they were just in the trunk of someone's car for like two years, I think. And they're like, oh, we should like probably get those out of there and like figure out what we have. Um, the radio show started being recorded digitally. And so we have all the born digital audio and that started in 2002. Mm-hmm. So we do have all of those. But from 77 to 02, we have cassette tapes that we're in the process of digitizing. We're not in the business at all of like collecting any sort of digital or born digital media. Um, and we also, you know, we don't keep the tapes. They go to the person who reviews them for the magazine. Mm-hmm. Same with the CDs. Yeah. So what is going to be sort of like the the meat of the archive's contents? Is it going to be just these reviews or like scans of the magazine? Or will you actually be like transcribing the reviews into plain text or just scanning them? So um, a lot of the reviews have already been transcribed into plain text. Um, I was working on that before I even got out here having remote transcribers, like I had over 100 people doing remote transcription for the project. Um, 
transcribing each issue. So I have the first like 300 or so transcribed into plain text right now. The rest of them I'll probably end up copying from PDFs, but they will be plain text. And those are gonna be like fully searchable. We're also gonna have scans of PDFs um, that'll go into the, the database. So the, the main meat of it will be just the, the plain text reviews and the scans of the magazine. So those are gonna be the two main things. As far as like digital, like audio, we're also gonna have the audio of the radio show up there as well. So um, we'll be digitizing all the old tapes. And then one of the other aspects too that will go up is um, scans of the special covers that Tim Yohannan would make. So he had a lot of records that didn't have picture sleeves. And so he would make his own picture sleeve that went with the record. Or if he like really hated an artist's work, he would like make his own art for it. That's so um, funny. We have, I think about 300 of those. So those will go up as well. We have tons of like crazy ephemera too. We've kept pretty much all the notes the bands have sent over the years. So we have a lot of really cool ones from the eighties where it'll be like, like, hey, I was hoping you could connect me with like blah, blah, blah band on tour or whatever, or like, you know, like this is what's going on in Finland right now, or like this is what's going on in Brazil. Um, and then, you know, you get to like 2005 and all the notes are like, check out our MySpace. Um, but, you know, maybe 30 years down the line, that'll seem point to us too. Um, yeah, so we have a ton of photos. We have um, basically what are like press clipping files of, of clippings related to the magazine. So, you know, um, we have a zine collection as well that sort of uh, focuses more on like features about the magazine or like interviews with people from the magazine. Um, that's, that's scenes that aren't maximum. Yeah. And then, so you have a huge like record collection, but are you just cataloging them in the sense of you'll have a, like a finding aid sort of thing where people can look and see if it's in the collection, but they won't be able to listen to it? Yeah. We're not going to be digitizing any of the audio from it. Um, as far as digital audio goes, the radio show is pretty much the extent of it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we don't have rights to this stuff and also digitizing 50,000 records is, like a truly insane undertaking that we just don't really have the manpower for either. Yeah. It's pretty much going to be like that. It'll be like a catalog of our holdings. Um, we occasionally get phone calls where people are like, Hey, do you have this record? Or like, can you tell me about this? Like my friend told me about this record he saw in Japan and I was wondering if you had it here, like you could scan the cover for me. Um, we'll get phone calls and emails about that, you know, a couple times a month, just general re research requests. And, uh, that's something I do as well in my capacity as the archive coordinator is to field those requests and try and help people out when they have a question like that. A lot of times it's just stuff from the magazine, which will also be solved by having the fully digitized run of the magazine online. Yeah. So is the archive interoperable with any other big archives at all? You know, we're doing it fully independently. Mm -hmm. um, we don't like we haven't worked with any other organization on this. and We don't have like we don't have holdings that are offsite at all. Everything we have is here. It's not necessarily like how I would do it if I was working at like a, a library or an archive, but um, it does work for us and it's scalable to various like levels of knowledge about punk and hardcore, be able to find what you're looking for, whether or not, you know, you have like any special expertise on it. Yeah. What are some of the biggest challenges you're facing? One of the biggest challenges I'm facing is sort of like figuring out how to approach our equipment needs on like a pretty extreme budget. Mm -hmm. <laughs> a project like this, you know, if it was going through a different channel, might have a budget of like half a million dollars or something like that. Um, but we're doing it, you know, the super DIY way. And I have a ton of volunteers who come over. The magazine is all volunteer run. Um, I'm a volunteer. The other coordinators are also volunteers. We work here in exchange for a place to live, but we don't get paid at all. And it's a fully voluntary commitment. One of the other like hallmarks of the collection actually is that uh, we put green tape around the edges of all the records and Tim Yohannan started doing that to identify his records. And I think it's really cool in theory to have these records that are all like 
you know, they all have the same border. They all look the same. So even if it's like a thousand dollar record, you know, it, it has this, this aspect of it that where you're like ruining it, you're making it like not acceptable anymore, mm-hmm. um, which I think is really cool. And I think it's, you know, a really awesome thing to do. And I'm glad that we still do it, but I kind of wish that he had started off <laughs> a less, uh, adhesive oriented way of identifying his records like stamp or something like that so mm-hmm. you'll flip through the lps and they'll all be kind of stuck together and so part of the like collection care is going through and rebagging everything so that no longer is quite the issue that it used to be um and we've had a lot of success with the seven inches sort of separating them out putting everything in bags like rehousing all sorts of stuff but it's kind of a nightmare for any archivist to be like oh everything we have is covered in adhesive and we'll continue to cover it in adhesive as long as this collection exists. Um, so that's a big challenge too, trying to like deal with this, the substance we introduce every, <laughs> every month to the collection and then like every single record gets it, even though you know it's like wrong or like bad or whatever. Is it organized chronologically or alphabetically or like how do you, how did you decide to, to shelve it or is it just sort of chaotically wherever it is? Oh, no, no, no. It's very organized. <laughs> everything is alphabetized. In our database, we have a field that's like file under this. So that's sort of like the organizing principle of the whole um, collection. And that's, you know, everything is alphabetized. We have all the comps together in their own area. Um, The splits are filed in with the rest of the collection, sort of like first band in the alphabet gets filed under that one. So, you know, we have like a million Agothocles seven inches and those are all under A, but we also have a million Unholy Grave seven inches and those are like scattered all over the collection because it would be the first band alphabetically and U usually comes after whatever the other band is. Those are all over the place, but it is consistent. As we go through and inventory everything we have, which we're currently in the process of doing, we are sorting out the mistakes, like figuring out like what's in the wrong place, making sure everything is correct in the database, and then doing collections care as we go as well. That's cleaning stuff off, rehousing it. Like, you know, we've had a couple of different like tape manufacturers over the years, and some of the tape is stickier than others, or like, mm-hmm. you know, the glue will dry out on the tape and the, the tape will fall off. That can be a challenge too, trying to, you know, make the records look nice after many years of abuse in the the green tape and just like sitting on the shelf. But yeah, it's pretty organized. We live in this really weird house that uh, someone, it was an auto garage and someone bought it and was like, I'm going to remodel this into my dream house. But I can't really imagine like what this house would be for if it wasn't for Maximum because uh, <laughs> there's like a really long hallway that has, you know, 23,000 LPs on it. But it's a very narrow hallway that I'm not really sure what else you would put there besides <laughs> 23,000 LPs. <laughs> I found out about this because I think I caught the news about the the crowdfunding campaign, mm-hmm. like when it first happened. And so I followed that and realized that you all actually surpassed your goal, which like, congratulations, by the way. Um, and, you know, that showed me that there was a really overwhelming response of support and excitement around the project. So what are some feedback you've been getting so far? Yeah, so we've gotten a lot of feedback where people will contact us and be like, Maximum was a lifeline for me when I was a teenager, like growing up in this like small town or like, I hadn't been exposed to radical politics or like underground culture at all. And I think a lot of people are excited to, you know, sort of engage with the breadth of our collection, which the magazine covered a lot of politics early on and still continues to, but not to the same degree that it once did. I think a lot of people are really excited to like, you know, sort of see that in context with the music again. We've gotten a lot of feedback too from people who are like, oh, Maximum changed my life and I feel like I owe it this, you know, psychic debt or whatever. One of the ways that manifests is people who have you know, they have like a double of a record that we're missing and they'll, they'll donate it to the collection, which is really great. That's happened a couple times. And we recently, we did an interview with Terminal Boredom. And one of the things we were like, oh, we have this minor threat seven inch, we have the vinyl, but we're missing the cover. And someone sent us the cover the next week after the interview ran. 
you know, one of the challenges we have in growing the collection is we don't really have much of an acquisitions budget. We do try and keep up on new stuff more so than old stuff. So it's like, you know, it really helps us out when people get in touch and they, ha- they have this old record that someone stole from us over the years that we never had for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, we got a lot of feedback from like librarians and archivists who were wanting to help out with the project. And uh, they, you know, they're like, wow, this is like really cool that you're doing this by yourselves. I don't know. I think it's really cool that we're not really beholden to like another institution's priorities or like another institution's budget. We're doing it ourselves. So it's going to get done fast and we're not really dealing with any bureaucratic headaches that we might otherwise be dealing with. And we don't, we don't compromise access at all for our collection. We're able to provide access to anyone who can schedule it with us. Um, and all that takes is just sending us an email or dropping us a line, like give us a call and be like, I'm in town and I want to visit the collection and you'd be able to, which is really cool. So we're not like, we have these these hours that you can come and visit it or this is a close collection, um, which is really important to us. What's your hope for the archive moving forward? It's my hope for the collection is that beyond it being like a great, you know, like you're like, wow, this is like a great way to like waste my time or like learn about music. I'm like really optimistic that it's going to like provide like a pretty comprehensive view of DIY hardcore and punk. My hope for the archive is that it's going to like really help contextualize things internationally. Um, Maximum is really at the foreground of covering international punk from the genesis of punk and punk wasn't a Western phenomenon. And um, like what we have in our archive shows that punk was never a Western phenomenon, that it was always all over the world and that uh, we're trying to like implode these myths that it was in New York or in London or whatever. Because we, we have tapes from the Philippines. We have tapes from Japan. We have stuff from all over the world dating back to like the very beginning of punk. And uh, we have stuff too that like focuses on women and focuses on people of color. And uh, it's really important to us to represent the full picture of punk and uh, like try and vanquish these myths and like make sure that everyone like knows and can engage with the fact that like punk has always been a space that engaged people all over the world, that engaged people of color, it engaged women, engaged queer people. So I hope that the archive, you know, does its part in making that clear. And uh, it's a great discovery tool as well for people doing research. Um, we've gotten, like, research requests from people doing research on, like, graphic artists, that sort of thing, and, like, a bunch of different topics. It's not just limited to, like, certain punk records or, like, um, a review of your friend's band or whatever. Yeah, and to that end, I was going to ask, are you categorizing some of the content under certain tags or subject heading type of classification to help people who might just want to see all of the stuff that has to do with Japan that might not mention yeah. it explicitly? Yeah, so we'll be having that. Um, when everything gets entered into our database, it gets tagged by country and year. Um, so everything, you'll be able to sort like, oh, I want to like look at records from Indonesia in like 2003. You'll be able to do that. And you'll be able to like limit in the search. So you'll be able to see that. You'll be able to see like this is related to protesting or like this is related to Bay Area media, that kind of thing. So we will be using that for sure as a way for people to access that information. You were saying that before you even got to San Francisco that there were people helping you remotely from all over the place. I know that there are ways people can come in and actually physically help on site. But what are some ways that people who might live in Topeka could help you? <laughs> Yeah, um, so we still have some transcribing to do. That's something that people can help out with. That's super helpful. Um, I send you a PDF and you type up the reviews pretty much. Um, we've been using OCR recently for some of the ones that, like, once we started, like, not laying out the magazine by hand, it became possible to <laughs> do that, um, to actually use OCR to pull text from it. It's not foolproof, but it does work quite a bit better than 
when the magazine was, you know, just like a little text box that someone like sort of pasted willy nilly onto the page. Um, but, um, yeah, that's a good way to help out. Um, there's a lot of ways to get involved in the magazine remotely, whether that's like proofreading or doing layout and the work of the magazine certainly complements the work of the archive. Like what goes into the magazine each month is like what constitutes like the bulk of the collection. So, you know, it's all related. (laughs) Yeah, so should they just, like, email you guys about that if, if people are interested? Yeah, they can email us at archive at maximumrockandroll.com. Do you have any sort of estimate about, like, the span of the project? Or, like, I guess that's that's a stupid question because it's going to go on and on. But I guess to deal with your backlog, do you have an idea? Yeah, um, the goal is to get everything inventoried and get the database up online by late next spring. So hopefully May of next year, of 2017, um, will be the launch date for it. But yeah, I mean, like going forward, we'll also be adding to it. So the goal is to get that so it's like easy for anyone to do. And that when there's no longer like a full-time archivist living here, there will be, it'll be easy for everyone to add their radio show or to add records to the database as well that immediately become a part of it. Yeah, this is super awesome. Um, Do you have anything else you'd like to add? I'm out of questions on my end, but you're welcome to bring up anything that you'd like to talk about. Yeah, um, so one of my favorite things that we have is uh, we have a letter in the collection that is with one of the seven inches, so it's with an anti-Symex seven inch, and uh, the letter says, I read in your magazine that you, um, that we're U.S. influenced, but we are not U.S. influenced, and then they go on to list, like, their favorite U.S. bands, which are, like, The Residents and Alice Cooper, uh, but it's just, like, this crazy hardcore band from Sweden. Um, that's one of my favorite things. Like, some of the old letters are really incredible. Uh, one of my other favorite letters is there's one by this band called The Delinquents, I think. Um, we have their cassette, and the cassette has um, a note in it that's like, hey, like, thank you so much for like taking our cassette. Uh, we are looking for an alternative to fascism. We're 14 years old. You know, we, we have stuff like that. These <laughs> like really great notes. Yeah. Um, so those are my favorites, and also the like handmade covers are really cool. And we, um, you know, have such a wide variety of them. Whether it's like a 50s rockabilly seven inch that he like put a picture of the artists on the front or like, you know, a collage of the Go-Go's or, you know, just like all sorts of stuff. Well, that's super cool. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time and dealing with the technical difficulties today. (laughs) Yeah, no problem. Sorry about that. This was really fun. Yeah, it was so much fun. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. Thanks. You too. Bye. Radio Free Culture is produced by WFMU and the Free Music Archive. Our theme song this week is The Spider-Man's Nano Loop by Uncle Bibby, which can be found at freemusicarchive.org under a Creative Commons attribution license. For more information, please email archive at maximumrockandroll.com or visit maximumrockandroll.com slash mrr hyphen archive hyphen project.